is where business ideas and passions turn into profit. Napkin ideas are no longer tucked away in drawers, and women around the globe are turning their hobbies into million-dollar businesses. Welcome to Million Dollar Hobbies. Here's your host, world-renowned jewelry designer and Shop HQ celebrity, Victoria Wick. Welcome to another episode of the Million Dollar Hobbies, where we turn your dreams into reality so that you can live the life that you deserve to live and that you're capable of living. If you're wondering right now, you know, do I ditch the commute and start a new business? Or if maybe you already own a business and you want to know how to, uh, you're lost in the middle of COVID. You didn't do anything wrong. You know, COVID came in and kind of turned your life upside down. Um, no matter what stage you're at, my next guest, Beate Chalette, is somebody who is an expert in building a business and giving you a system and a framework that you can work with so that it's almost like a, um, I wouldn't say it's completely mistake free, but it gives you a focal point. It gives you a way to succeed and scale in any economy, in any situation. Um, just to give you a little bit of a background about her, she is an expert photographer. She has worked for L Germany. She's actually, um, it turns out that she was a much better businesswoman than a photographer, as good of a photographer as she probably was, because she was able to grow her business in stock photos and um, marketed it and sold it to none other than Bill Gates, private company, not Microsoft. But anyway, um, I'm so glad to have her here to share her tips and you know some of our struggles too, because none of us actually succeed by ourselves and none of us succeed without any failure. Because if anybody tells you that they've never had any obstacles, then it's probably not real authentic uh, experience. So welcome uh, to the show. Yeah, Thank you, Victoria. I was looking forward to talking to you. You know, I did, I did my due diligence on you as well. And uh, this is pretty impressive what you've created. So I can't wait to share and learn from you and help your audience in any way we possibly can help them to well, make their businesses work. Exactly. Beate, you know, um, it's almost like you and I lived very similar lives you know, we both immigrated to this country. And I know you came from Germany, which is a little bit closer than South Korea, but nevertheless, it is a whole, I mean, a lot of people think that European countries are not different than America, but they really are. I've traveled extensively to Europe and, you know, they, their view of the world is very different. Their systems are different in many ways than America. And so it does take uh, adapting. Um, and not only that, I mean, you come to a new country, uh, everything is new to you. You don't have friends and systems and schools that, you know, I mean, a lot of employers here don't even recognize half the street schools in Germany and so forth. So starting your life over, that alone, I know firsthand uh, takes a lot of uh, adopting and getting used to and excelling. And, and I, so how is it that, I mean, you were a photographer in Germany. So when you first landed here, what was it like? What was your first impression of, oh my God, like this is going to be of America itself. Like, is, was it going to be like the promised land? Can you see that when you first landed here? Was it, you know, for, in my case, I was like, what was my parents thinking about? Because this is not the American dream for me. It was never going to happen here at, at that time. It has happened since then. I was wrong. How about you? For me, it was really interesting because I, you know, even though being from Germany, I always knew that that was the wrong country for me. 
And uh, interesting, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think that because I'm unruly, opinionated, or you know, my every single one of my report cards said talks too much, is I always felt that Germany, because Germany is so rooted in so many rules and regulations, and you know, and it's so systemic and structured that I always felt that it was very, um, very limiting in the way it allows people to express themselves. And so I had visited America twice before. Once was a disaster and the other one was probably the best trip of my life. And I liked the freedom and I choose, and this is kind of a funny little side story. And I choose Los Angeles because I believe Los Angeles is the city of misfits. So everybody who doesn't fit anywhere else comes here and magically they all fit in together. And so I felt that the, you know, and I come from the creative arts. So, you know, I've, I've been used to colorful non-conforming people and here's a whole, a whole city full of non-conforming people. And I felt for the first time I had a sense of belonging I hadn't even thought about the American dream at that time. All I wanted to figure out is who I was because I was 23. I'm running the photo department at Elle magazine. And I recognized that people would do anything for me because I was in a position of power to give them what they wanted. And I, my father was fired as a CEO of a dairy company. And I recognized a lot of his you know, temper in myself <laughs> And I, and I didn't want to be recognized for the position I held, but for the right. person I was. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And then I quit and I left. So what I heard you say was that, you know, for creative people, I agree with you. For creative people, Los Angeles is the dream city. You know, um, it's hard to express yourself. And I think it's not really just Germany. I think creative people in America, uh, in many parts of U.S., we don't get recognized. We get, uh, if we're not careful, we are uh, sort of like, um, I, I guess we, we, we're recognized for being sort of weird or having thoughts outside their definition of the norm. And I think how many times do creative people create amazing things and creative people can see it but we're usually funded by CFOs or people that don't understand creative people that have the purse strings to decide, you know, whether your uh, photo gets printed or my jewelry gets aired, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I can see how you um, found your emotional freedom in a city like Los Angeles. So financially, when you left, I mean, did you just have a like a clear mic drop moment or did you have a plan of some sort to sustain yourself when you <laughs> no, left? I had no, I, I literally <laughs> had, I had no plan. Okay. I had right. no plan. I wanted to go and uh, do the year abroad. And that just was a year that never ended. And I started in Key West on a houseboat without water and electricity as a nanny just to get off this, you know, this L magazine fashion importance, a kind of insanity that I, I came off. And then when I lived in Key West, which I absolutely loved, I, I knew that I had to do something else. And that's when I came to Los Angeles, I was able to get a job as a photographer representative at an existing talent agency here 
and I built up this, this department until the recession hit. And so I kind of fell into this, into, you know, like some of these voids in between the spaces. Mm -hmm. um, I had a journalist visa. So I kind of had papers and I kind of didn't, but I, I had the right papers to work. And so I, I was able to, to live. And then the big recession hit, you know, fires, floods, earthquakes, riots, and then everything changed. So, but until then, I, I just pursued really more a personal journey to, to see who I was. And then God himself showed up and said, well, now we're going to put a little bit more pressure on you. So that's really, really interesting. So this show is all about following your dreams, following your heart and, you know, creating that into a dream business. I mean, some of you might be running a small jewelry business at home. Some of you might be running a small bakery. And I know many of you who are listening right now are running, you know, millions of dollars worth of businesses. So you definitely uh, followed your heart wherever it was. I mean, even if you didn't have a plan to, you know, I mean, you went from Germany to Los Angeles to Key West, I mean, all these places to find yourself because that was the key ingredient for you to succeed at some point. Is that what you just... Yeah, it's correct. Yeah, okay. I, I think that there, you know, um, today I, I study personality types. I'm a certified Myers-Briggs practitioner for the reason that I really wanted to figure out what makes people make certain decisions. Right. And I learned about myself, which, you know, I didn't know then, but I know now is that I have really good intuition. And if I follow that, and when I follow that, and I'm in the flow of energy, and I really trust that, that I tend to do really well. And that's something I think as a business owner, and, and Victoria talking about uh, your listeners here, is that it's interesting because when we when we were raised, right? I, I compare this to a USB port that's that's put in when we are born that starts running yeah. a program that just keeps running. And that's all the stuff your parents tell you and society, the educational system, and sort of what's commonly assumed as a fact. And then you start to have these moments of where you say, well, I'm not sure this program doesn't have some programming errors in it. And you try different USB ports and you know that, but it's a different program. And so you have this friction, this conflict of old behavior and knowledge and this new idea. And so now you go, what do I do now? And so when these moments happen in entrepreneurship specifically, and you go, well, what if, or wouldn't it be great? Or can you imagine that? That's usually something trying to get your attention that is outside of the old program. And so when you start listening to that, that's when the snowball, the domino effect starts to happen because you are recognizing that the opportunity shows up and that first step leads to the second step, but you don't know the second step until you've taken the first step. And so I think that's really critical in entrepreneurship, especially when you're starting out to, to see that you don't know the path. The path shows up as you walk. But no, I mean, nobody gets a blueprint that maps out the next 20 years, step by step by step. It's never this like nice line from here to there. It's a crazy zigzag line that somehow ends up where you kind of had wanted it to go, but it's certainly not the path that you thought it would take. 
True. I think that, so let's back up a little bit because I think this goes back to um, us being DNA coded uh, from a very early age. And so you said earlier that in Germany, in schools and you know places that you were told you were, you talk too much, you were unruly. And these are not in that society, they are not kind words to the accepted norm to a child really. So, I mean, what did that feel like? Did you have um, self-esteem issues or were you just rebellious and you wanted to prove to the world that actually they're the crazy ones or what was it like as a child? Um, I don't say that I had a happy childhood and part of that really has a lot to do with my mother and my mother has some very serious mental issues, like a lot of people in, in Europe do that grew up in World War II. And, um, you know, and I think that my mother wanted me to be something that she couldn't be and pushed me toward conforming to something that she believed in, however limiting that was. But my dad was a CEO. And so it really was my dad who said, to me that there was no limits to anything that I was able, able to achieve, but I never felt I fit in. I always had huge confidence issues and self-esteem issues, which, you know, a lot comes from my dad, not being there traveling, not being able to support us with a mentally unstable mother that just couldn't, uh, couldn't really function well and, and being extremely hostile specifically toward me. And so as I, you know, and that really pushed me to take the first opportunity I could to leave. And so I left uh, the town or the city where I grew up in at 17 to pursue uh, a career in photography in, in Munich. And, you know, and never really to look back. But I think that, you know, looking back and, you know, again, you know, this is talking about what drives entrepreneurs and what drives someone to do something right. extraordinary. It, you know, back when you, when you go through these adversity moments in your life, you always wonder why me, why do I have to go through that? And today I would say that it's energy, God spirit telling you that you're going through a crash course to figure out um, what shape the world is in. So you can get to live your purpose and make your impact much quicker. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the reason why I asked you that is because, uh, you know, I, whenever I mentor someone or teach someone, I discovered recently that 90% of the entrepreneurship battle is mentally related somehow. You know, the decision, the inability to make decisions when things are so clear to some other people, but they, they can't see it. The inability to believe in themselves, inability to believe in their teams that they hire. Uh, it, a lot of this uh, belief system has to do with our DNA coding from the beginning. And for some of us, it's our parents. For some of us, it's our society. Um, and some of us are just DNA coded to self-doubt. I don't know. But I think, you know, the one thing I think that we all need to work on is that mental, it's almost like mental conditioning in some sort, because I, I know I've had to go through that quite a bit. So now let's get back to Let's fast forward, uh, you know, here a little bit. So you were at L, you found a way to, you saw a void in the marketplace 
to sell certain types of stock photos, right? So I think that you, the personal journey of you discovering yourself, actually unwinding a lot of the DNA coding, the USB port that you were given at birth and then continue to be uh, sort of uh, fortified in all the wrong ways. You come here, you find yourself through a lot of struggles, then you somehow find a void. I mean, I, I have to say in, you know, I've bought stock photography, I've uh, bought stock, you know, a lot of, you know, all of us who are business people do, yet you found the void, a really nice niche that wasn't tapped at that time. And so tell me about that, how you were able to, you know, so we're now moving into the real uh, tips, practical tips on how to identify a market, how to identify an audience and how you then monetized it. And, you know, and I think that that's probably how you came up with that, the, the five times success um, framework that you, you now teach other people. So can you walk me through that journey a little bit? Yeah, I love that. And, you know, and, and it's really beautiful for me to see, you know, just by your questions, I can see how your brain works and it works exactly in the same, in the same way, because you hear and then you see, and it connects in your head. And then you already know the question to ask, even though you didn't know the question to ask, but you do because you paid attention to, you know, the spaces in between. So, so that's really the opportunity. It's when the first time when you see something and you go, wait, 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 wait. And it's just like this little flicker of an idea. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, I so I come from photography, but I was a better business person than I was a photographer. And so I was a photographer agent, a producer. I got laid off. I started my own production and photography representation business. I had a bad employee. I'm in a lawsuit, mm -hmm. September 11th hits, I lose my production business you know, and I have, you know, 10 years, a decade of just bad luck happening. And then suddenly I recognized that this was at a time where suddenly small companies like, you know, like Kmart and JCPenney started 900 thread count sheets and having, <laughs> yeah, you, I remember you know, that. Remember that? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and beautiful pillows and decorative items. Right. And suddenly, suddenly there was a, a that the taste level of America suddenly exploded, and I saw it happening. And because I was an editor at Elle magazine, I knew what needed to be done to bring that to the masses. So I went after A-list photographers because why go after the B and C if you can't go yeah. after the A? It's the same amount of effort, right? And so I was able to sign these top photographers based on a simple recognition that I saw that at the time digitization had started and a lot of the large agencies that were doing stock photography didn't want to take any more analog you know like chrome mm -hmm. yeah, images yeah. and put them in their database they wanted only digital files but because I knew that a modern house is a modern house. A Frank Gehry building is a Frank Gehry building and a case study house is a case study house in eternity. So there was longevity to this particular industry that I was interested in. And so I literally flew to New York and I visited all these photographers. I took boxes of images and brought them back on the plane, sent them to India, digitized them 
And that, but because I was the only one who did that for them, I was able to get these contracts. And so suddenly I am having, you know, the most qualified, the highest level of interior and architectural photography available in the world. And so suddenly people are starting to take notice and they go, who, who is this person? What is this small little collection? Because the trend was toward living well. And so we were able to get a contract with a large distributor, the largest distributor. And we didn't have a lot of images, but it was the quality of our images that really drove the drove that demand. Mm -hmm. And then what happened, and I didn't know this Victoria, and this is sometimes the opportunity that just shows up when you least expect it, is, and I remember this moment, my controller comes in very dramatically and she closes the door and she locks it and she takes the report and she tosses it all dramatically in front of me and waits until I look at the report. And then I said to her, holy smokes, we're making all this money with celebrity homes. And so it turned out that our A-list photographers were shooting the celebrity homes of the A-list celebrities that were designed by A-list architects and A-list interior designers who work with A-list photographers. So I have Madonna, Francis Ford Coppola, Terry Hatcher, Simon Baker, Julian Moore, all these top celebrities. And suddenly I'm the number one, the world leader in providing these celebrity home stories in 79 countries in the world. So uh, thank you for that monologue. And I think that what I heard you say was, and I think this is a really, uh, I would say a gold nugget or several of them. So here, you know, post 9-11, the, the ensuing financial disaster and everything else that was going on, you know, Beate still saw the positive things that were happening in, in the world, you know, the, the, the sort of the modernization of our, our lives through technology, and then also our desire to live a, I guess, a better life. Um, and so she saw this macro trend happening over there. And she also saw that as a small company uh, that she was, you know, I mean, she was a real small business in the, in the middle of all of the photographers and the magazines and, you know, agency. Think about who actually has the money to have all the digitization of everything. These are big money players. So here you are, Beate, you are a small company, but by being nimble, you were a lot more nimble because those big companies couldn't make that hard right turn, you know, with their giant machine. So being nimble, being on top of your, the desire for the modern Americans to want to live in a certain way. Um, but the problem they had was taking those analog photography and then making that more accessible to people. So you, you were like, you saw the macro trend, you saw how nimble you could be, and then you were willing to go and actually work your beer end off to get that accomplished. And at the end, you ended up with like a really nice piece of the action, really. I mean, a nice niche that was kind of uh, built on a fortress at that point, because nobody else really had that. So um, you almost found a niche, find the audience, um, and built a business that almost created a little barrier to entry for other people to come in that business by the time you were being recognized. Is that pretty accurate or? Yes, exactly. Okay. And, that, and, and to your point, that's really how I built my system. Um, I looked back after I sold the business, 
to what was it that I did? So what's the repeatable portion of it? Because afterward, I wanted to really share the knowledge with as many people as possible, because especially for women in business, Mm -hmm. I wanted to provide the no BS information, not the dream, not the oversized sweater with a glass of Cabernet in the kitchen, two (laughs) hours a week, make an extra $10,000. I'm sorry, that to me is all BS, but building a real business. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And you know what, Um, while we're on that whole subject, I want to tell you the reason why I started this podcast is that there are just so many people in the business of inspiring you, encouraging you, motivating you. And these are all great things, but it takes, I mean, really, it takes actions without actions, motivation, dreams, and everything just kind of dies. It just stays stale. And how many of you right now are in that position right now? You're just this close. You can see you got, you got ideas coming out of your head right now. And all you have to do is believe in yourself and take that very first single step. And you haven't done it because you're afraid, you fear losing your job, you're losing your reputation, fear you know, of failure, fear of maybe being too successful too soon. I mean, it's just all these things that happen. But I think I really like what you were going, and I'm going to let you explain this a little bit too, is when you have a system, you can, because a lot of entrepreneurs, um, one of the things that I want to make sure that even the successful entrepreneurs get, you know, get away from our interview today is so many entrepreneurs like you and me, we started our businesses. um, I think for me, number one issue was emotional freedom. I mean, I was suffocating in a corporate America. Uh, I was getting paid decently. I didn't have real personality issues or whatever, but I, I just felt like every day I was dying. Uh, my, my mind was dying and I dreaded going to work. So I, I took a leap of faith and pretty much started my own company. But a lot of us want that emotional freedom, but we also want time freedom, time, freedom to do what we want to do when we want to do it, right? So we start our businesses to spend more time with our families, to spend more time with what we love to do. Like I love to paint and you know play the piano and do all these things. So, and yet so many of us, when you start the business, you are lost and you are chasing after every dollar in every direction um, and you don't have a plan. And so what Beate is saying is that by having gone through what you've gone through, what are the ways you can repeat? Because if it's repeatable by you, it could be repeatable by your team members, everybody else, which will free you time to do what you want to do. And I think ultimately that's where we want to go. So what are the, the top, I mean, one, two, three, or what, how many pieces of advice you want to give to an entrepreneur today who owns a small business, who's trying to figure out how do I pivot, you know, post uh, post pandemic, do I need to pivot or I mean, what's next? What are we going to do? So can you give uh, some advice on that? A hundred percent. Yes. And I, I just start, to, uh, if that's okay with you, Victoria, Absolutely. just take it through the five-star success blueprint. Sure, of course. So the five-star success blueprint is, is the system that I've developed. And in the first, in the first star, you look at the idea and you really need to flush out the idea. What is the idea? Why is it unique? Who are you serving? So that all needs to be flushed out before you even do anything. The second step or the second star is the offer. 
once you know what it is and who you're serving, then and only then will you do the offer because it needs to be these people want to buy, not need, but want to buy because it's much easier if there's a transfer of money from them to you, if it's a desire that they have that you can fulfill or a problem you solve with the offer that you're making. The third star is the actual system. So how do you take all of the knowledge and I compare this to you know, the, the, the loaf of bread, right? How do you take all of the knowledge that you have and you bake that into this knowledge loaf bread? And instead of giving them everything all at once, you take it and cut it into slices. And then you sell one slice at a time so that your customer has a great experience. You can sell more, you can sell more often. And you can sell different things to the same, to the same kind of client. And then you have to make sure your business systems and how you operate is set up so you can scale up when it's time to scale up. The fourth part is the team. So you have the idea, you have the offer, you have the system. Now, who will be doing it? And again, you know, this is a foundational principle of business building. Who will be doing the work? And then the fifth step is you as a leader. That's when you really have to make the transition from a business owner into business leadership, because as the business grows, you can't do the day-to-day -day anymore. Yeah. You have to lead more. You can't be in the trenches. And then what does that mean? Do you have the capabilities, the qualities? Who do you want to be as a leader? How do you want to show up? So that's in essence, the five-star success blueprint. Well, sounds great. I, it's very, um, I mean, I think a lot of the things that you're saying is um, very apropos for today, modern society, but it's a lot, a lot of it, I think is very um, evergreen. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it works in any economy. I would add to that one more thing. And that is, I think the people that I work with, a lot of people don't have a clear definition of what they want out of their life. Like don't start a business thinking, you know what, I'm going to make a lot more money. I'm going to work a little less and I'm going to start. I have this idea. I'm going to start. I mean, just kind of clearly define what it is that you want from your life. Because, you know, for me, you know, I had a, a loose business plan and that was I wanted to work like 20 to 30 hours a week and I wanted to make 35,000 bucks a year. And that would be for me, that was the American dream so that I could spend all the time I wanted. I would never miss my kids first, you know, first step, first piano recital, first whatever. And I wanted to be present. Um, and it wasn't realistic for me to work 80, 90 hours a week. So, but then I was willing to take a pay cut and I, I was willing to do that. So a lot of times when you define your dream in the beginning, uh, you know, it helped me sometimes when I had a really bad year, one year. I was just thinking to myself, oh my God, is this it? Like everybody tells me the small business failure rate is up to 75% in the first three years. And maybe I just delayed the inevitable. Like maybe, you know, I just had it really nice. Maybe I, I worked everybody and my time is up. But my husband said, you know, your, own, your goal in the beginning was 35,000 bucks a year. I mean, you made like $375,000 last year. And you didn't hit your goal this year, but look how far you've come, right? So a lot of times I think just having a clear definition of where you want to be, I think that is the first step. And then, you know, having all the other um, assets such as, um, you know, having a system like what you have, I think that's really great uh, to have a focal point. You know, a lot of people don't realize in order for you to grow, you actually need to work less, 
you can't be doing everything because that is going to be a real disaster. <laughs> you think it's choking you. Way. Yeah, it'll choke you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it'll choke you. And surround yourself with people that are better than you because that's how you're going to grow too. So, yeah. well, you know, I really uh, enjoyed this interview and um, I just feel like, like I said, we're at the two opposite sides. of We're actually two same sides of the same coin because we think alike. We have very similar journeys and uh, different experiences. But, um, you know, I thank you so much for coming and uh, wish all the best for you. And all of you who are listening right now, uh, Beati, how do they get a hold of you? Do you have like on a website or uh, someplace where they can find more about you or? Yes, you know, of course. That? So so I, I would uh, encourage everyone to go to growtharchitect.xyz. Uh, that's my website and it'll forward you to that. And if anyone is interested in actually learning on how to define who your ideal customer is, your mm -hmm. airtight avatar, which is one of the first steps, I'll invite you to just go to airtightavatar.com and it's a free program. And I'll take you through step-by-step -step in the proper form with a system, of course, on how to do an avatar so that you can walk away and know who your ideal client is. And this will all be in the show notes. So if you're listening, um, you can just scroll down and we'll have all of Beatrix, um, you know, contact points and all the websites on it as well. And if you like what you're hearing, please share um, this episode with your friends and family or whoever else you think would benefit because both Beatrix and I, like we don't really, you know, we're pretty successful. And I think it's, it's not like a hundred percent nonprofit, but I do, uh, I am working now on the, on my legacy to help other people achieve the dream life that they want to live. And um, sharing this knowledge every week with you for 30 minutes, has been just nothing but a joy. So thank you so much for coming in Beate and uh, good luck to you with everything you do. And until next time, stay healthy and be happy. Thank you. Thank you so, thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Million Dollar Hobbies, where we turn dreams into reality and passion into profit. According to ancient Chinese proverb, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Congratulations on taking that first step today. For more information on how Victoria can help you turn your hobby into a million dollars and to download Victoria's free ebook on passion-based business ideas, visit milliondollarhobbies.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player.